Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Amen. Wonderful. Let's get into it. Uh, Our primary passages of text are from Genesis chapters 1 to 3 this morning. So we'll start with Genesis 1 verses 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis 2.15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And then Genesis 3.17-19. So this is after Adam and Eve reject God, they eat the fruit. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Hope you're feeling very encouraged as we are getting into the scripture this morning. I promise we are going somewhere with this. We have well and truly kicked off our year talking about this theme of seeking first, seeking the kingdom of God, the righteousness of God, and we're going to continue with that this morning. Church, if I asked you to list off some of the spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices that we participate in as Christians, what would you say? Uh, Yes, I didn't think that you would answer the question. Um, I think that we would say prayer. I think we would say reading scripture. I think we would say fasting, evangelism, coming to church, confessing, rest or Sabbath, financial giving, gratitude, celebration, solitude. Have I missed any? Okay. Would you add to the list work? I think for most of us, the answer would be no, and I feel like your silence confirmed that. We, um, we don't tend to consider our work as a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice. I think for most of us, we kind of wake up in the morning, maybe we pray, maybe we journal, maybe we read some scripture or intend to, and then we, and we consider those integral parts of our discipleship to Jesus, our lives with God, and then we kind of run out of the door to make it to work, make it to school, or the baby starts crying, or it's time to apply for jobs, and suddenly we have moved from our spiritual life to our work life. Here's the thing, many of us will spend 100,000 hours of our lives at work, which is one whole third of our entire lives. And we all know know, work is a deeply significant part of our lives, particularly in this culture. But is it a deeply significant part of our lives with God? Because most of us will spend far more time in the workplace than we will ever spend in church or in that chair that we read our Bible in at home. So consider with me, if we have a pretty good understanding of what it means to be a Christian in the context of church, 
where we participate in corporate worship, we hear and apply teaching, we cultivate loving community, we serve, we give. And if we have a pretty good understanding of what it means to be a Christian in our times alone with God, you know, we pray, we read, we confess, we repent, we sit with God, but we don't have a good understanding of what it means to be a Christian in our workplace or our school or when we're at home with the kids all day, wouldn't it follow that we might be massively lacking in our vision for what it means to be a Christian at all? And wouldn't it follow that we might be likely to feel dry in our walk with God and like we have a deficit in our spiritual life in the day in, day out days of our lives, which is a commonly felt thing. So this morning, we are going to talk about what it means to seek first in our work. And so for those of us who are familiar with Pastor Jared's language around our kingdom purpose inside the house and outside of the house, um, you can think of this message as a kingdom purpose outside of the house. Message, And um, for most of us, we might, others of us, we might be thinking about this already. Pastor Sue was talking about it at Starting Strong, um, our life in the marketplace out in the world. So I'm just going to carry the theme on. And just to clearly define terms from the outset, I'm going to use the word work uh, because it's an easy word to use. But by work, I don't just mean a nine to five, though I do mean that. Please don't count yourself out of this if you don't do a nine to five. In a biblical sense and this is me just condensing what scholars say, we can think of work as whatever you do to produce good in the world. So that means that work can mean your nine to five, your bricklaying, teaching, marketing, hospo job, being a doctor, lawyer, engineer, if you're a good Sri Lankan, which I am not. (laughs) Or work can mean your studies. Work can mean the way you diligently look for a job in a season of unemployment. Work can mean raising kids in the home. Work can mean how you fill your days once you're retired or whilst you're unable to work because of a health condition. Work can mean the way you volunteer in the community. This idea applies to every single one of us, even though it's going to look different for each of us. Our work is whatever we do to produce good in the world. So we'll do a quick theology of work and then we'll get practical. Uh, Because God has plenty to say about work, and even more than that, God gets involved with work. God himself works. To quote Paul Stevens, the Old Testament opens with a description of God himself engaging in the work of creating the world. God continues to work throughout the Bible, and the biblical writers metaphorically describe him as a worker engaging in almost every trade, craft, and role in the human experience. Throughout the scriptures, God describes himself as a worker. He describes himself as a creator and a gardener in Genesis, a shepherd in Psalms, a potter in Jeremiah, a physician in Matthew, a teacher in Psalms, a vine dresser in Isaiah, a metal worker in Malachi and Ezekiel. The list continues. To work and to be creative is an essential part of the nature of God. And so here's where we come to our scripture for the morning. We just read in Genesis 1, so God created mankind in his own image. So if God works and if God is creative, then to be made in the image of God means that humans were made to work and humans were made to be creative. Then we read in chapter two that God put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it. He created them, he called them good, and then he put them to work. We have been working since the beginning of humankind. And then we read in chapter three that after the rejection from Adam and Eve of God um, and the fall, the ground that we work became cursed. And like any adult in this room knows, work is necessary and work is often hard. And sometimes it feels futile. And sometimes we are just battling to provide for ourselves or our family. And sometimes we are deeply heartbroken about what happens in our work lives. 
and yet we must work and we have always worked and we will continue to work and we were created to work. So what is your Christian vision for your work? What is the theology of work that you're going to be living into on Monday morning, right. you know, subconsciously or consciously as you head into your workplace? Right. Modern Western culture loves to compartmentalize. So I have my work life, I have my spiritual life, I have my personal life, and these can all be separated. And this way of thinking and living, it comes from an old philosophy called Gnosticism that first presented in the early church. It's been a problem ever since then. And it was later popularized by Rene Descartes through his idea of dualism, which is the uh, divide between the mind and matter, or the separation of the physical and the spiritual. Right. It's what leads us to think, oh, I can have a sex life that doesn't affect my spiritual life, or I can have a work life that doesn't affect my spiritual life, or I can have a spiritual life that doesn't necessarily have an impact on my family life. But in ancient Hebrew thinking and the world that Jesus lived in, this way of thinking that's so normal for us just didn't make any sense. Yeah. To the Hebrew mind, all of my life is spiritual. How I work my job, how I parent my kids, how I steward my body, how I spend my money, how I serve at church, it is all spiritual. And I bring my whole self to every single part of my life. Right. And I heard one pastor explain it in a very helpful way. He said that Gnosticism, dualism, compartmentalizing our lives is kind of like baking a chocolate cake and then taking bites out of it with the intention of tasting individual elements that went into the cake with each bite. It's like taking a bite of chocolate cake and saying, mm, yeah, I really just want to taste the flour in this bite. <laughs> taking another bite, I really just want to taste the egg. Yeah. The Hebrew thinker, all of us would say, well, no, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. It can't work like that. I can't have a flour bite and an egg bite. They're all chocolate cake bites yeah. because all of the elements have come together to produce what is. Yeah. And so, you know, this compartmentalized way of thinking, it's so ingrained to us modern Westerners, but a lot of the New Testament is actually directly combating this Gnostic thinking because life doesn't actually work like that. Yeah. God didn't design it to work like that. We can try to separate the parts of our lives, but they will all come together to produce who we actually are. What is the point? The point is, if your life with God, your spiritual life, is not being expressed in every part of your life, including your work life, then something somewhere has gone wrong. That is not the vision that God has laid out for us in His Holy Scriptures. To seek first the kingdom, to seek his righteousness is to work, think, spend, steward our body, raise our kids, eat, rest, hang out with friends, be retired, study, serve at church, all unto the glory of God. So we'll go on a little journey together this morning. First, we'll take a snapshot look at our culture and work. Then we will look at a better way, how to seek the kingdom in our work. And we'll look at three stages of calling and vocation to close, which I hope will be very helpful. Um, are you ready? Yeah. Great. Our culture and work from quiet quitting to careerism. These are just two ends of the spectrum that I'll touch on um, because I would suggest that these are prevalent in our culture. But I'm not saying this is everyone and I'm not saying this is you. Um, I'm just saying in general terms, we do see this. So on one end, we have quiet quitting. Are we familiar with this term? Oh, 
Okay. Um, well, in uh, Gallup's 2023 Global Workplace Survey, they actually found that 50% of employees are quiet quitting. And I am familiar with this term and that surprised me. Uh, quiet quitting is what happens when somebody psychologically disengages from their work. Right. So they're there, they're doing the tasks, but they're not engaged. And they're just doing the absolute bare minimum in order to remain employed right. for whatever reason. This is basically the perspective that your current job is merely the means to an end of a paycheck, yeah. and the only way you could possibly serve God with it is by giving him some of that paycheck. That's all there is here. Right. Yeah. Quiet quitting is often accompanied by a lack of honor for bosses and upline, a lack of excellence and care in work produced, and a lack of relational bonds in the workplace. If you fall into this category, and unfortunately, statistically, Gen Z, this is us, can I suggest that we are not leaning into God's vision for how to follow him in the workplace? But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have careerism. And Derek Thompson wrote in his book a couple of years ago, the decline of traditional faith in the modern West has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, and others worship their children, but everybody worships something. And workism, or careerism, is among the most potent of new religions competing for congregants. Yeah, wow. How true is that? How many more people would be working this morning than being in church? Achievement is 100% an idol in our culture. Yeah. What's an idol? Throughout the biblical text, idols were gods that the people worshipped instead of Yahweh. Uh, it looks different in our context, but we still worship idols because an idol is anything that is more important to us than God. Yeah. For many Christians, this is their job. And typically, we actually applaud this as success. Uh, well done for hustling and grinding. Our society is full of achievement addicts, and we often revere them for it. They may not present like the people in our world who might be addicted to a substance, but they're running the risk of spiritual and emotional and relational death for the sake of their addiction just the same. I'm, I'm not pointing the finger when I say this, because this is so easily me. Um, I think anyone who's naturally driven, this can so easily be you. When our work becomes more about our identity and our ego than contribution, when we start to pay costs to our health and our relationships that God is asking us not to, when we don't properly rest, we're making idols of our work. When we don't honor God's house, we're making idols of our work. So from quiet quitting to careerism, where would you place yourself on the spectrum? You might not be on the spectrum, but there is a better way a way to seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God in our work. Now, this list is not going to be exhaustive, but here are three thoughts for how to seek first in our work. We work with love, we work with dignity, and we work with excellence. Right. On working with love, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 to 12, says Paul, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul's talking to the church in Thessalonica and he is teaching the people about how love should inform the way they work. So not drive, not ambition, not money, um, but love. Not that those things are bad necessarily. He is saying, yes, you have the love of God in you and you know how to love each other. So let that inform how you live and how you work even more. 
He's saying, yes, you are loved by God. And when you are loved by God, it'll fill you up on the inside and it will flow out to the people around you. Elsewhere in the letter, he calls their work produced by faith, labor prompted by love. Very beautiful. How often do we think about going in on a Monday and thinking of what we do as labor prompted by love? I don't know. But to be a Christian is to go into the workplace, to go into your home, to go into your learning institution with the understanding that you are there to contribute to the good of the people around you and the flourishing of others. And that the source that you use to do that, even in a challenging environment, is the love of God that dwells within you and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So for all of us, how can we intentionally work in a way that shines our Christian worldview, that shines the love and the restoration and the redemption of Jesus through whatever we do? Who can we bring hope to? Who can we serve at a cost to ourselves? Whose burdens can we bear? How can we work with love? On working with dignity, if we read that Thessalonian scripture just from uh, verse 11, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul is saying here to live and work with dignity. He's saying, do not be a source of needless drama, which is maybe for someone this morning, and do not be a disruptive force in the community. He's saying, do not go looking for a fight because of your allegiance to God. Now, Thessalonica was a very political city. Pretty much anywhere we go these days is politically charged. So instead, Paul is saying, just be different because of your allegiance to God, because that will actually be enough in this broken world. So don't go to work trying to debate people into the kingdom, but love and serve them into the kingdom. I won't ask us to raise our hands because I think it'll make us all sad, but how many of us have had to try to undo the unkindness, the insensitivity, even the cruelty of another Christian in someone's life before they're even remotely open to the idea of the gospel or church? Paul is saying, instead of trying to prove something, just do your job with that much dignity that the people in your workplace and local community will be able to see what life with God does to someone in a context that they can understand. So the way that you cut hair or operate on patients or treat your employees or flip burgers or counsel people or sell cars or teach students, let the way you engage with your work garner the respect of the community. And then you open the door to win them. This might be a controversial perspective, but I would be hesitant to preach to my workplace if I'm not diligent at my job first. I would be careful about posting all the sick stuff we do at church on on Instagram for my coworkers to see as a witness if I permanently have a bad attitude at work. I'm not saying that that's what Paul is saying necessarily. I'm saying it. I think it's something to think about. Um, It's the same as this this idea of, you know, if you are in your social circles trying to witness and trying to evangelize, but you're also dating people in these said circles and hurting them and leaving a trail of broken hearts behind you, like, stop. It's a terrible witness. We won't need to pick theological fights in our community if our lives speak for themselves. Leslie Newbigin once said, live in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the only answer. So the way that you work, the way you engage with your boss, the way you support your peers, the way you deal with disappointment and success is the only possible answer to that Jesus Christ. And I'm asking myself this just as much as I'm asking you. And if we 
we can answer yes, our daily lives will win the respect of people in the local Perth community who don't know Jesus. When Martin Luther King Jr. was speaking to young African-American kids hoping to inspire them, he said, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, sweep streets like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry, sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. It's very good. And lastly, on working with excellence. Colossians 3, 23 to 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We work with excellence because anything mundane can become meaningful when it is done for the glory of God. Every task, no matter how menial, has the potential to bring glory to God, depending on the attitude with which we undertake it. I remember a friend of mine who was a support worker for a while would tell me about how she had managed to find joy in helping take her client to the toilet uh, because she had this revelation that she was doing it unto God, um, which I respect. I don't know how I would go with that. It, it wasn't that she had like learned to do it or she had gotten used to it because that was her job, but that she found joy in it. I don't know about you, but I can tell the difference in my work in terms of the attitude and the heart and the effort that I bring to it, even if no one else can. You know, if I write two messages and in one I give it my all unto the glory of God, I know, I can sense his pleasure. And if I just don't, you know, maybe I procrastinate or I don't bring my whole self before God first or I just kind of muddle something together, I know. And it's not the same. Um, They might help someone who hears them equally and that's great and that's the grace of God, but it's not the same to me. And I don't know if it's the same to God. Um, To be clear, I'm not trying to preach perfectionism here because yes, there is such a thing as good enough. And sometimes the win is just making it through the day or making it till your spouse comes home with the kids. Or, and for some of us, excellence would be to stop working and go home and be with our families. So I get all of that. I'm just speaking to our intent and our approach and our care. Because to become more like Jesus is to do whatever we put our hands to with holy intent. Christians should just never be known for doing shoddy work. It is such a poor reflection of the God whose image we were made in. We should be known for doing whatever we put our hands to with holy intent. What does it look like? It's the way that we do things. It's it's the attitude with which a casual washes dishes at the cafe. It's the heart with which the support worker helps take the person to the bathroom. It's the um, detail with which a psychologist listens to and counsels a person. It's the way a a teacher is patient with a student. The way the marketing person is thinking about clearly communicating to the person that's receiving, the love with, with, with which a parent changes nappies, the way an author writes with the intent to move the heart, the way a student is diligent with their studies. These things, when done with holy intent, can bring the glory of God into ordinary life. And what we need is Christians who are willing to go out and offer whatever it is that they do all week as worship unto the Lord. So um, we're about to close, but before we do, I just want to give us a helpful framework to consider when it comes to calling and vocation. Uh, Vocation at its root means calling. 
So we've kind of established we all work in some way, shape or form. You know, we all contribute to good in the world. And there is purpose in every form of work when it's done unto God. But we also know that we're called to specific things. And we talk about this a lot at Global Heart, as we should. Pastor Jared was talking about it last Sunday. Um, so I just want to make a suggestion that I, I hope would help you about how to think of this. And the thought is that there are three stages of calling and vocation. Um, I would like to cite that John Mark Comer helped me with this. I did not come up with it on my own. And I would like to stipulate that this is not the gospel or scripture. This is a theory uh, that you're welcome to reject, but I find it helpful. Um, the band can join me if they like. So stage one is following Jesus being a Christian, being a disciple, we are all called to do this. It does not matter the circumstance or situation of your life. Yeah. Once Jesus meets you and yeah. you choose him, if you live every day leaning into his kingdom, seeking him, being yeah. loved by him, loving him, not living perfectly, but wrestling faithfully, yeah. you are outworking your calling yeah. on the face of the earth. Yeah. So this means that even when you don't know what you're supposed to do or the thing that you thought you were supposed to do implodes, you still know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Follow Jesus with yeah. your whole heart. Yeah. We all have that calling. Yeah. And then stage two is to do whatever it is that we happen to be doing, whether we enjoy it or not, unto the glory of God. I'm not going to labor this. We've just talked about it. But this means that you could be working at a cafe with the gift and the calling to sing, but no opportunities in the singing field. But if you work that cafe job unto the glory of God, you are still living yeah. into your calling. Tozer wrote in The Pursuit of God, beautiful book, it is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart and he can thereafter do no common act. How beautiful. Anything that you do unto God becomes sacred work. The last stage, stage three, is to do what you were created and designed by God to do. Each of us have been made with intention, with specific personalities, proclivities, gifts, and talents. To operate in stage three means you have been able to discover, hopefully in the context of community, what God placed within you when he formed you. Uh, last week when Pastor Jared was talking about this, he mentioned uh, that he thought I was born with a gift to teach which was very kind of him to say. I think that it's true. I'm aware you could be listening to this and disagreeing, so we'll just move right along. Um, but I was thinking this week about how I haven't always known that. And in fact, I think the first few times I was graciously given the platform to have a bash, nobody knew that. It's certainly not something I've planned my life around. And like, I need to, yes, I need to steward and develop my gifts, but so much of how God chooses to use them is out of my control. And it's, it's my conviction that a big part of why I'm able to discover and use and improve my gifts in a stage three sense of vocation is because I was firstly serious about living stages one and two for His glory. And I don't necessarily have a chapter and verse for that, but the Bible is so full of people who just obey God and then He used their gifts in ways that they never would have thought. I also really want to be clear, I'm not trying to imply that stage three is higher or better or more important than stage one or two. I actually think it's probably the opposite. I might get to exercise a stage three sense of vocation in this current moment, but it's not the source of my passion and purpose. It's the object of my passion and purpose, right? It's my job today. That could change. Church might need me to do something else. I might... I don't know, have a baby and not be able to do what I'm doing now, would I be any less called in those seasons? Absolutely not. 
My passion and purpose should never be a product of stage three vocation, but a product of stage one and two of understanding every single day. Every single day, there is an invitation for me to glorify and obey God and serve Him with everything I am, wherever I am. If we are waiting to get to the thing to do it well, I think we're missing God's vision for our ministry. And yet, we are so blessed. We all live in a part of the world where stage three vocation is available to us. We all have the ability to discover what our gifts and talents are. Many of us will be employed to use them. Um, We don't think about this often, but there are lots of Christians in the world who will never have that opportunity simply because of where they happen to be born. They will live hand to mouth and they will um, glorify God in stage one and stage two for their whole lives. And that is so noble and beautiful and admirable. So for those of us who do have the ability to consider stage three vocation, what a responsibility. It is weighty. You know, then justice for those people comes onto us. Anyway, that's a whole separate message. Um, And I don't just mean in ministry, in any sphere, because when we're operating in our stage three calling, it means we're doing something well. It likely means we'll go and influence. It means we're impacting other people. And so therefore we're responsible for how we steward that. And it means that who we are on the inside becomes all the more important. So I'm thinking of managers who don't treat their workers with kindness, or teachers who shoot down the dreams of their students, or business people who fudge the numbers with implications for their staff later on, or the heartbreaking number of public figures in every sphere, including the church, who have moral failings like every other month. I would suggest that as people with the ability to explore our stage three vocations, it would be so remiss of us to jump to stage three when we aren't living out stages one and two faithfully first, because we could find ourselves operating in a job where we're good at what we do, but we're hurting people and we're denying our God. I used to really, really, really want to be a pastor. And I think there was this like drive in me that I think was part healthy and from God, but also part ego and having something to prove. And now that I am one, I realize, I don't think I wanna do this if I don't have the character to do it with integrity. It's a dangerous game to play and I'm gonna be accountable for my life one day. So how about you? Are you pursuing vocational goals that your character cannot sustain? Are you chasing wealth that your current spending habits would suggest you won't steward? Do you desire a staff team that your current reactivity would suggest you won't honor? Are you hoping for fame that your current insecurities would suggest you won't steward? As a uh, younger person who hasn't necessarily achieved all the things that I might in my life yet, I really believe that in this day and age, my witness is gonna be a lot less about what I do up here and a lot more about what I do when I'm down there and when I'm out there. And it might be the same for all of us. How do we win a generation of people to Christ when they're already so familiar with the hypocrisy of Christians? We be like Jesus at stage one and stage two and don't just gun to get to stage three. We wrestle to be like him all the way down, not just in our gifting, but in our character. Now I'm not trying to diminish anybody's stage three calling or my own, they're so important, they're designed by God. I'm I'm just saying that who we are is maybe more important. So whichever stage you find yourself in, be encouraged. You have the ability to walk in calling and purpose right now. All right, we're done. We're done. So recap, we must work. We will work. Our work can be a spiritual practice. Our work is one of the primary contexts in which we can live into the kingdom of God. 
In a culture of quiet quitting and a culture of careerism, we can work with love and with dignity and with excellence. And no matter what stage of vocation we are sitting in, we can live deeply into the purpose of God every day. Church, would you stand with me? We are about to close. Pastor Amber's about to come and give you an invitation to respond to this God who made you in His image like we talked about. Um, But just before that, I'd like to close in prayer by reading a liturgy over us and then we'll sing together. Now, this is a liturgy for those who are employed, so it might not apply to you. I've picked the majority this morning. If this is not you, pray your own prayer to God. But um, if you're employed, why don't you close your eyes and just let these words wash over you. Lord Jesus, who supplieth my every need, I praise you for all your provision and for the means by which they are provided. For my current employment in this season of life, I give you thanks. By it, may I meet my own needs and contribute to the needs of others. Let me work and serve in this position with mindfulness, creativity, and kindness, loving you well by loving all whom I encounter there. Jesus, be ever present as mediator between me and my upline, between me and my co-workers, and in all my dealings with others in this job, reminding me that my treatment of them is the strongest evidence of my affection for you. Grant me, therefore, the patience to listen to others, the humility to learn from them, the compassion to consider their needs as my own, and the grace to wear well in this place the name of my Lord, remembering that I arrive here each day as an emissary of your kingdom. Let me be an asset to my superiors. Let me be a support to my peers. Let me be an encouragement to any I train or lead. May the days of my employment here be meaningful. Use this chapter in my life to accomplish your ends, whatever they may be. May my presence here daily suggest your presence here. And may the outworking of the gospel be always evident in this my work, that my service as an employee might be ever reckoned and received as service first given unto you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.